Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon. This is our podcast regarding the Me Too movement, sexual harassment, and discrimination in the workplace. Me Too movement has started with Tarana Burke, who is a survivor of sexual assault. In 2017, Elisa Milano posted on Twitter saying, If you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write Me Too as a reply to this tweet marking about 24,000 retweets until today. Even though Tarana is the one who started to use the term Me Too, but this movement has been popularized by Elisa since she was an actress and had more power on social media. By Me Too movement, many women raised their voice and shared their stories about being a victim of sexual assaults. Many women were encouraged and consoled by each other. Me Too movement had an impact on our society and economy as well. Since half of the workers are women, accusing the sexism in the workplace had a huge effect. Due to this movement, about 200 powerful men were brought down by being accused for sexual assaults and half of those roles were replaced by women. Sexism was occurring every places, especially in our workplaces. Women were exposed to these kinds of environments. It would also affect the economy in a way that women who experience harassment are 6.5 times more likely to leave their jobs than those who do not. Workplace harassment affects all workers, and its true cost includes decreased productivity, increased turnover, reputation or harm, and ultimately negative impacts on our society. Now we will go through more details about these circumstances and its effects. One current economic issue would be the NCAA business and how it doesn't allow student-athletes to be paid for anything related to their sport. This includes everything ranging from getting paid simply for playing the sport all the way to endorsement deals. This situation is economic in nature because there's tons of money and theoretically labor involved which makes it economic in nature. It is an important topic as many people believe that there is an unfair economic inequality in action as the people performing the labor aren't getting compensation while the people in control of the revenue receive all of it. It is also important to me personally because I am involved in NCAA sports and believe that it is unfair that student athletes are not only allowed to be paid to play the sport but also aren't allowed to endorse any kind of product. To give a little background, College sports generates more than $8 billion a year, and the NCAA limits athlete compensation to tuition, room and board, and a small cost of living stipends. Many NCAA officials argue that getting paid to play sports would decrease academic focus. However, studies have shown that no connection, there is no connection between athletes making money and their ability to do well in school. Rather, eliminating amateurism wouldn't make athletes more distracted to have more distracted or have to sacrifice more, it is naturally just compensation for the sacrifices that we are already making in terms of time and willpower. One person took this situation to court and found that the uncompensated use of athletes' name, images, and likeness on TV to generate money was found to violate antitrust laws, and the judge ordered that schools be allowed to pay athletes at least 5000 a year via trust funds that they could access after their college careers. However, 
the NCAA appealed this decision, saying that all athlete compensation needs to be tethered to schooling, suggesting that the NCAA's main focus is to help student-athletes' success in academics. However, just three years ago, former University of North Carolina athletes sued their school and organization, stating that they haven't received legitimate educations because of widespread academic fraud. The NCAA responded to this by denying any responsibility to ensure quality of their schooling. This conflicting argument made the NCAA, made by the NCAA suggests that the NCAA isn't really worried about academics, but is really just finding excuses to sustain their status as a monopoly for college sports. Hi, my name is Andrew McGavin, and I am going to be talking about the wage gap and how it relates to our economics in the United States. I'm sure we have all heard this term, the wage gap, maybe on the news um, or on social media or in school, and it's important to know and understand what this really is. And so the gender wage gap is really the gap which exists between the salaries of professional and working class men and women in the United States or in the world. And for the sake of this topic, um, I'm going to focus more on the United States because I am more educated about that than the world. Um, and that is where I live is the United States. Some studies have showed that women earn 78 to 82% of what a man makes in a year. Another way to think about that is that it takes 400 around 470 days to for a woman to make what a man makes in a year or to earn the same amount of money as what a man earns in a year. And this is obviously a problem because there are even some studies show that more women in the working class than men or at least half and if men if women are earning as much as men are even this such a large difference, even this 22% difference, then there is clearly a problem. And it's important to note that many um, people talk about different factors that go into this wage gap, including the educational advancements that women have made or the different job roles that men and women have um, in the United States or in the world. Um, for example... Women and men do work different jobs. For example, women, um, more women are in the nursing or educational careers, um, public educational careers than men. And these career paths generally pay less than, um, say, a corporate um, position, which um, men seem to be more a part of um there's a, a more of abundance of men in the the corporate or, or the financial world um and even with these things factored in with the educational factors or the different job factors or and things like that there is still a five to six percent gap in the salaries that men and women make and without all of these factors in there with with, with them already have being factored in there's nothing else besides gender inequality and discrimination, which is absolutely unacceptable. In America, we like to tout that we are such a great country, and we are, but this is kind of a, a stain, uh, kind of a black eye, um, because it, it really isn't right. We shouldn't be discriminating on race, 
on ethnicity, on the color of our skin, or how old we are, and we definitely shouldn't be discriminating on gender. And it's important to note that our country has passed laws even from as early as the 1870s to ensure that female government employees received equal wages as their male counterparts. And although there has been progress in years throughout this, we know that it must get better, um, for this is a whole 50% or more of our working class and our population, our sisters, our mothers, our daughters, who are not earning as much as men, and it's not right. Hi guys, this is Izzy here, and today I'm going to be talking about gender inequality in management and administration. In 2015, it was found that men made up 69.1% of the workforce and were making, on average, 10 to 15,000, more than a woman for the same exact job. At an entry-level job, 46% are women, which is much higher than in the past, um, but could still be higher. Uh, anything higher than that, women start to uh, deteriorate, uh, the percentage starts to deteriorate and gets lower. At management level, it's 37% at which women um, make up the workforce. At a vice president level, 29% are women. And at a C-suite level, which uh, includes positions like chief financial officer and chief operating officer, 19% are women, which is quite a small number compared to 81% that are men. Um, and according to a st the study as well, representation is even worse for women of color. And I think this is something that we can all work on in our own lives. Uh, I think any woman can say that she's experienced uh, gender inequality in their career. I know that I have. And I think that we can definitely keep working on making women a bigger part of the workforce because we have come a long way in treating women as equally to men, but we can still do better. Sexual harassment in the workplace has many economic effects on companies. As more and more companies are subjected to public scrutiny, preventing harassment complaints has literally become crucial for business. In fact, there are some visible costs of sexual harassment in the workplace. Some examples of this are in November 2017, 21st century Fox admitted to paying $90 million on derivative shareholder lawsuits for sexual harassment allegations. This led Executive Chairman Murdoch to call for a healthier working environment. As a result, $50 million went to settlements and $40 million for payouts to top management who left as a result of the scandal. In addition, companies offering a healthier work environment attracts greater talent. Meanwhile, badly ranked firms would progressively lose access to the talent market. Thus, to attract efficient employees, companies must exhibit a healthy and safe working environment. There are also some invisible costs of sexual harassment in the workplace. Some of these include low productivity of workers in a company that neglects harassment cases, which indirectly promotes discrimination. Um, employees will be more likely to be absent and there is higher turnover among the victims of harassment, both at the employee and executive level. Um, there are increased health costs addressing burnouts and connected diseases. There is overall poor morale affecting the whole workplace. And once the allegations go public, there's a huge negative effect on the reputation of the company. And lastly, if sexual harassment occurs in the workplace, there is a cost of switching management attention from business-related activities to preparing the company's defense from sexual harassment allegations. So... This leads the company to stop current work projects and may result in the payment of penalties. In fact, 
Academic research reveals that in the United States alone, these costs increased for a typical Fortune 500 company from $6.7 million in 1989 to $14 million in 2017. So overall, sexual harassment has huge economic effects on companies. There are also statistics that show how sexism plays a role in the workplace when regarding management positions. There was a study that examined human resources data from 132 companies employing more than 4.6 million people and included a survey of more than 34,000 workers. So at the entry level, 54% are men with 46% that are women. But at the manager level, 63% are men and 37% are women. And at the vice president level, 71% are men and 29% are women. And by the time they reach the C-suite, which includes positions like Chief Financial Officer and Chief Operating Officer, 81% are men and 19% are women. Representation is even worse for women of color, according to the study. The study also uncovered a few key reasons why women aren't advancing as quickly as men. Some of these include they are more likely to be ignored at meetings, with 74% of men able to participate meaningfully with 67% of women who feel this way. And there are less likely to get challenging assignments. Some some of men, which is 68%, have taken on the toughest tasks, whereas it's 62% for women. And overall, women are less likely to be consulted for input on important decisions, with 63% of men being asked to share their thoughts and 56% of women. Hi guys, so my next topic that I wanted to discuss with you is uh, inequality and discrimination in the workforce and I think anyone who has access to social media or the news can see that collegiate sports are extremely discriminatory in um, in their workplace and it's even worse for women of color in collegiate sports and uh, in 2017 actually the amount of white females decreased to 64.9% and uh, African-American females decreased to 12.5%. And and the NCAA does not pay any of their uh, student-athletes because they believe that if they paid the student-athletes that it would cause the students not to study, even though there has been no correlation found with um, not paying students and having it affect their studies. Hi again everyone, this is Andrew and I am going to be talking more about the laws and social norms which have either affected the Me Too movement positively or negatively. So first of all, I believe that it is important that we all understand the developing social constructs and norms of our country in the past 200 years as it relates to men and women in the workplace or in general in in our social interactions and especially over these past hundred years women and men have seen great changes in our our social relationships and the way um, we see each other and are defined in the professional workplace most of them moving towards progressive and equal rights for men and women, which is a fantastic thing. The 
conservative social norms and constructs of the early 20, 20th century um, have moved more progressive with things like women's suffrage and women being more accepted in the workplace in different career fields and even appre- appreciated um, in the same career fields as men, which is something that really readily did not exist early in the 20th century and is um, this acceptance is such a great thing because men and women have such when when they come together we can solve so many great problems through our diversification of ideas etc um, so it's important to know that a lot of these social changes and norms have been able to spark the conversation and attitudes which has translated to our government passing laws protecting different groups of people and in this case women and their rights in the workplace and in regarding pay or even regarding protection with things like sexual harassment. So a few of those really important laws which have been passed, I'm just going to give a, a brief history of a couple. So as early as 1869, our government passed an Equal Pay Act to ensure that female government employees received equal pay, pay wages as did their male counterparts. And although this bill was didn't really work, it was watered down by 1870, it really shows that these issues aren't new. People aren't just thinking about these new. They, they've been going on for a while, and it's, it's awesome to see the progress they've made. In 1963, John F. Kennedy signed the Equal Pay Law in opposition to some male business owners who argued that women were more costly employees than men, which allowed them to, play, to pay the women less. And obviously, these claims were based without a foundation. Um, They were ridiculous. And Kennedy is quoted saying that it was a significant step forward. A year later, the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964. So it's interesting to see the the timeline of, of those different things passing. Other significant laws include the Pregnancy Discrimination Act of 1978, which protected pregnant employees, and the Medical Leave Act of 1991, allowing parents, regardless of gender, to take time off. In in 2009, President Obama passed the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act as his first legislative item. This act helped bring some women's rights, which were lost in an earlier 2007 court case. This piece of legislation benefits employers who have more fair payrolls. All of these great laws have been passed. Despite these steps forward, women in 2012 made up the majority of people in the labor force, but still only made 77 cents to the dollar which men made. So although these fantastic laws have been passed, which have enforced and protected the rights of men and women, especially in our country, there is still work to be done. Hi guys, this is Izzy for the last time. So in conclusion... Um, The most important thing we can do to start making it better and to move forward on how this issue can be addressed is to really stand up for women. And if we see a woman getting sexually harassed and, you know, we've all seen it, we've all felt it as a woman, that we'd want someone to stand up for us. So we need to stand up for others. And it's important to challenge gender norms and what is considered the status quo now to really start changing things and that's the first thing that we can do is really to be brave and to have a voice and show everyone that women are just as strong just as capable and just as intelligent 
as any man and we deserve to get paid if we're doing the same exact job as them. It's important to help other women and to really speak and be powerful and to really rise up to show that we can change what is considered to be the norm right now. Um, And we're thankful for your support of our podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening and we really hope to see some changes in our workforce and in collegiate sports and we're thankful for the opportunity to learn about um, the Me Too movement and we really hope that this Me Too movement continues and that women start getting the recognition that they deserve because we are strong and we are intelligent and we are just as good as anyone else and we're thankful for our opportunities that we receive now. Thank you.